Welcome to Spellbound in Black. This is your host once again, Anissa. And I just want to thank everyone for the feedback from episode three, Urban Legends. I had Akeem on and we had a fucking ball. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loved the crackhead ghost. (laughs) That was the highlight of the entire show. And it was a pleasure having him on. And I am planning on having him on again around April for another topic. We're going to review a movie. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it should be a good time. But for this episode, I have my friend, Lady K. Hey, girl. How you doing? <laughs> hey, so once again, this is another one of my friends I met online. And <laughs> yes, I've been well. And how about yourself? I'm surviving, <laughs> but other Same. than that, I'm doing good. Girl, it's, this weather is just so fucking rude. And disrespectful. You have to add disrespectful. Oh, it is. It is rude and disrespectful. <laughs> well. But I'm so happy to have you on. Um, this is a Thank really- Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a um, special topic, I think, to both of us. Um we're going to talk about loss and how we both dealt with um, significant losses in our lives. And of course, since this is a spiritual podcast, that will be the main focus on how we got over loss through spirituality. So um, I'm going to actually let you jump in and just let us know a little bit about yourself. I know you, but some people may not know you. Okay, well, it's not much to tell. I'm just a regular, regular, regular girl here. Um, <laughs> let's see, I'm 48. I have four wonderful children, um, my um, three boys, and I have one girl, peace and blessings upon her, and they range in ages. <laughs> okay, don't call me crazy here, so they <laughs> range in ages of 27 and eight. Okay. Listen, <laughs> you and you're still going through it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know what I was thinking. I had them all out the house and decided to give it the old college try again for some crazy reason. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it happens. Well, I also want you to explain, because I know you reached out to me regarding this topic and mm-hmm. I was actually really touched. Well, I just have to say that, you know, not even having met you, I just think that you are so phenomenal. You are so wise. Like, and I think you're younger than I am, but you have taught me a lot about life and, you know, like dealing with other people and strange things like that. And I just felt safe, you know, sharing my story with you. So when you said that you were doing a podcast, I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm grateful that you trusted me enough to um, touch on this. And I know it's something that is close to you. And um, this topic is about loss. And 
you may not know or you may have known from a Facebook group and just being Facebook friends that over, say, three, three and a half years, I lost my mom and my brother back to back. Yeah, I remember when your brother passed, but um, at the time, I didn't know that you had lost your mother as well, but um, my heart definitely goes out to you about that. Thank you. And I'm actually dealing with another loss. Last week, my uncle died. <laughs> so the winter time for my family, niggas drop like flies. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, get it. Yeah. Like we need to be putting like saran wrap or bubble wrap when it starts to get cold. Because brand don't nobody go start- outside. <laughs> Listen, Brandy just starts knocking on that door and she's like, all right, girl come on so um I've known I know you told me that um briefly your daughter passed yes yeah and that Um, had to be like the second worst day of my life probably because I lost my grandmother in 2013 just 11 days before Christmas and then the following um I say like two years a year and a half rather my daughter Mm -hmm. passed away so I was just kind of like, wow, like my queen, I lost my queen and then I lost my princess and my grandmother and my daughter were so close. It was unreal. Yeah. I know, um, as a mom losing your child, that's something I don't wish that on anyone and I don't have any children. So I can only imagine what you went through especially with, you know, losing your grandmother. I lost my grandmother when I was 17. So it's been some some years. I'm currently mm-hmm. 29, about to be 30. And she actually passed away um, one month to my 18th birthday. Oh, and that, wow. was, that was her goal, was to see me turn 18. It's, and, funny. it's funny because um, people kind of know when their time is up, so they start making amends or whatever. Yeah. And like you mentioned, she, you know, wanted to see you turn 18, and she did that, and that was something that she verbalized. And I was just talking to my neighbor about the power of life and death being in the tongue, and her um, her husband's father would say, I'm not, I don't get sick. But when I do get sick, that's when I'm going to die. And that's exactly what happened to him. He got sick and then he died. He lived a long, prosperous life, but he spoke spoke the word and the word became what it was. You know what? I I actually do believe that. And it's something that bothered me a little bit. So you remember when Tupac and Biggie passed away? Yes. Prior to their death, they were talking about passing. Yes. And it was heavily influenced in their music. And then shortly afterwards, they passed away. They both. Yep. You know, so that's why I tell people, like, don't say it too much. Like, don't put that mark on you (laughs) because, (laughs) listen, you don't want that energy coming towards you. That's so true. Yeah, and even with my dad, he's like, you know, I'm getting old. I was like, listen, nigga, <laughs> you better shut up. <laughs> listen, you gonna stop abusing your father, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I listen. I love my dad. When I came back home from my mom's funeral, I told him, I was like, look, 
you better not even think about dying. I was like, I'll kill you before you die. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Don't even think right. about it. And he started laughing. He was like, you're so dramatic. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, don't have, have zero plans of checking out anytime soon. And he was and like, he well, if I can help nowhere. it. Huh? I said, he's not going to go nowhere just because you told him so. You got him wrapped <laughs> around your finger and you know it. Look, I told him, I was like, if you pass, I was like, you know I'm coming with you. He goes, please, no, let me just enjoy having by myself for a while. <laughs> that is like, so I can't even with you in death. <laughs> right? He was like, no, no, please. Like, he was so disgusted. He was like, no, please, no, no. Yeah. Because that's one thing. You don't want to, you know, you want your children to live a long and prosperous life. Like, you think yeah. of what it is that they're going to quote-unquote grow up to be and you think of them having their own children and them being old and you know you guys kind of maybe being old together or whatever so that's not really something that a parent wants to think about (laughs) yeah no I, I I totally get that and um just going back to the topic it's basically about ways we were able to cope with Mm -hmm. the loss so I just wanted to ask you what were some ways or some things that you did to help you basically grieve? And I don't want to say move on because you never move on. on. Yeah. You never really move on, but how do you begin this new life? Yes. That's exactly what it is. It becomes a new normal. And for me, my grandmother was my rock. Um, Anytime anything happens, regardless of whether it's good or it's bad, the first mm-hmm. thing I do is think, what would Dorothy do? Dorothy yeah. was my grandmother's name, or what would Granny do? And I just kind of took it from there. And like I said, she was my rock. And everything she did, she did with so much grace, just grace and, and shrimp, that black mm-hmm. woman shrimp that everybody talks about that's killing yeah. us. She did everything with that. And <laughs> I just had to look to her in order to not break down and like really lose my mind. So when this all was going on, um, the unfortunate part about it was that I saw it all in the spirit realm because my daughter, unfortunately, was addicted to heroin. And, um, you know, so that addiction is what killed her because she overdosed one night trying to trace the dragon. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. And um, I'm the product of actually two heroin addicts. My mother was a heroin addict as well as my father. So having that um, family history, for me, was something that I never wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I guess me always saying that I can never do heroin, I would never do heroin, that's not me. You know, I stayed away from that. Not to say I haven't done other things. Not to Mm -hmm. say that, you know, I'm perfect or anything, but between um, knowing what my parents did, knowing how my my parents' addictions and as well as my aunts and uncles, how their addictions really hurt the family and really hurt my grandmother, it was just something that I couldn't go through. Mm -hmm. But also watching her navigate um, her children being addicted and how she dealt with things, it was kind of like in a stoic manner. So whereas she wouldn't write, come up, come right out and say, oh, this is hurting me 
or whatever. It was basically, okay, I just have to move on and do what it is that I have to do. And I just got my strength or the will to keep moving from her. Mm-hmm. And then knowing I had this eight-year-old, it was not saying that I couldn't grieve yeah. or I would say maybe I couldn't grieve properly because not really having grieved, and this is where that strong black woman comes and killing us. I kept everything very quiet and, and I just moved about gracefully. It was more like um, you just doing what you have to do. Okay, you know this. Going through emotions, basically. Exactly, exactly. And I think my grandmother went through life a lot like that. Um, my grandmother actually passed. She was only 79. Um, it was a couple of months shy. Uh, yeah, about six months shy of her 80th birthday. And we just knew that she would live to her hundreds because mm-hmm. her mother, you know, who was born right at the end of uh, slavery, had actually lived to be 103. And to be quite honest, I thought that I would pass before she would or something because mm-hmm. she's just been such a rock to the family that it just never occurred that there would be one day that I would be without her. But the blessing is that I am not without her. She still resides within me. And everything Mm -hmm. I do, like, even after her passing, when she passed, I hadn't um, received my college degree. And, of course, that was a a point of contention between she and I. But not too long after she passed, I say maybe five months later, I, I, well, I had gone back to school maybe the month after she passed or whatever, and then I had gotten my degree like five months after she passed or whatever, mm-hmm. and I, that was all for her. Yeah, that yeah, that's that's heavy because when you describe your grandmother, it's very similar to my grandmother. Um, she grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and then came up here to have kids, you know, have a family, and unfortunately. Mm-hmm crack <laughs> basically yeah. just crack did its thing you know yep. so a lot of her children were addicted to crack um my dad wasn't but he was addicted to alcohol so he was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and my mom i don't know the exact drug of choice just because my dad likes to keep certain things you know he he likes it to be respectful yeah, he mm-hmm. was protecting me, he's, and he's also respectful of of my mom. So I don't know the exact choice of drug, but I do believe it was crack also. And um, they were together, and when she became pregnant, he was like, it was a struggle keeping her clean. And when she had you, I told her either to get clean or give me the kid. Fortunately, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately... <laughs> she couldn't beat the habit at the time. So I was raised with him, but I saw my grandmother dealing with her children still battling addiction. So I remember my aunt coming home from jail or, you know, um, just random things going missing. One time Mm -hmm. I actually caught my uncle stealing my PlayStation to go sell it for drugs. But like Mm -hmm. you said, she had this grace about her. So when she was in public, she was on. You know, you couldn't tell her anything. Mm 
She had her furs. She looked good. She she loved white diamonds. She had her wig on, you know, but inside the home, it was chaotic. But she right. tried to keep it together. And but when see, she... Hmm? The, difference, the difference in my house, though, is that there was never any, like, drama. Like, you know, my mm-hmm. grandmother raised me and with her husband, my grandfather, and, um, like, they never argued if one of the kids did something. There was never any of that bickering and back and forth. And it's funny, like, even if when my grandparents did argue, it'd be like, oh, but honey, da-da-da-da-da, oh, baby. Uh, yeah. So, like, we never even really knew that they were arguing, but, it like, looking back, it was like, oh, wow, that was an argument. Yeah, but to y'all, it was like, oh, they just playing around. Exactly. Um, I wish it was like that with me. <laughs> it was, I don't want to say chaotic where I grew up in a dysfunctional home. I only mm. lived with my grandmother for a couple of years and then I moved out and then I was with my dad and we had our own place. But mm. um, it was chaotic because my dad and my other aunt, they were the people that my their brothers and sisters could run to when they needed mm. help. So it took some stress off my grandmother, but it was too stressful to her because those were her children. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, she she tried her best to hold it together. And you really never saw her crack, but you could okay. tell she was starting to crack a little. Like from like she would snap a little bit. And I just remember how feisty she was. But now mm-hmm. looking back at it, I'm like, no, she was hurting, you know, and I have a lot of sympathy for her. Yeah. And she she did the best that she could. She grew up poor, unfortunately. Coming up here, she was a single mom mo- the majority of the time, and she did the best that she could. But she could light up a room. She'll come in. She She was the best storyteller. Everyone loved her, but wow. if you got on that evil side, <laughs> she had <laughs> no problem cursing you out. <laughs> and I mean, mm-hmm. her tongue was wicked. And like, if you think I'm bad, <laughs> like my grandma was terrible. <laughs> right. But see, too, that's also like you take after your grandmother and I kind of take after mine as well. So where you're more like, okay, everybody come on in, everybody come on in. My grandmother was like, nope, everybody get on out, everybody get on out. And that's kind of how I deal with things. If this doesn't please me, it has to go. So like with my grandmother, it was like, oh, you're doing the crack? You're not doing the crack around here. You're going to do the crack somewhere else. You weren't going to be in the house with that. Yeah, like she, she... She wanted her family to be there, good, bad, or ugly, you mm-hmm. know. And and I also think, like I said, she didn't want the world to know what was going on inside of her home. Yep. You know, so, like, we could have drama inside, but once we step out, that shit better stop, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I did that, too. And unfortunately, I had to unlearn some of those things like if I'm in pain I can't keep putting on you know this 
picture perfect. Like, oh, everything's okay. I'm happy. I'm fun. When I know I'm like terrible inside. Right. Because after a while it gets heavy wearing that mask. Not only that, but we carry those those emotions and those traumas in our body. Um, mm-hmm. As I, I'm pretty studious, so I like to read up on things and search things out. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of stomach issues, and a lot of that comes from ha- having anxiety. And a lot of my anxiety is due from the fact is that I don't necessarily verbalize everything. Like I said, I'm quick to, oh, I don't like this, so I'm going to go over here and you stay over there. I've just now come into saying, okay, listen, I don't like what you said. And if you say it again, I'm going to bust you in the mouth (laughs) instead of just holding it in and moving on. So I release those things now. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a good thing to do. Um, I'm someone, I know I talk a lot. A lot of my boyfriends are like, Oh girl, all all you do Mm -hmm. is talk, but I'm very selective in what I say. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the stuff that needs to be said that I don't say, if that makes sense. So like, I'll I just, exactly huh? I said, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like I'll just like rattle things off, but it's not getting to the point of the issue, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to go, I'm trying to beat around the bush. Like, you know, this, this, this. And it's like, no, I need to learn how to be direct. So, oh, honey, um, I got some lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely teach you how to do that. <laughs> yes, because I'm I'm learning now, like this past year, I'm learning how to just be direct. And mm-hmm. and what I fear is, well, what I used to fear is that if I'm direct, people won't be able to handle it. But I realize sometimes it's not the message but it's how I deliver it yes of how you say something you know I mean I don't necessarily go around telling people I'm gonna bust them in the mouth but I do let them know listen what you just said or what you've done is not cool and I'm not gonna stand around and let you do or say whatever you want to so exactly and um one of the things like I said with dealing with the loss going back to the topic when I lost my mom I was like dealing with work stuff. I was dealing with financial things. I just graduated from college, like probably like two years prior. So I had a lot resting on my shoulders Mm. and I was just complaining about a lot of stuff, but I wasn't direct in saying, Hey, I am fucking sad. My mom passed away. I'm mourning, Mm. you know, the relationship we didn't get a chance to have, but instead of, like addressing that, I was addressing other things, hoping that it will fix the real issue. Mm, I see. Yeah. So one thing that helped me deal with her passing was learning how to be in the moment. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to be in a moment with certain things, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to grief. And even now, I'm I'm finally processing that she's not here, mm-hmm. but I like to pretend that we didn't have a real relationship just to make it go down easier, if that makes sense. So my relationship with my mom, it, it wasn't touch and go, but it was very, um, we had a very light relationship. Right. 
you know, so my dad tried his best to keep, you know, communications open. There have been times we could have went months without speaking to each other, you know, and when I was 16, I actually remember this. So we will plan our trips like a year in advance. So my dad will tell her like, hey, you know, next summer we're going to go down to see you. Be prepared. And mm-hmm. then leading up to it, he will constantly be in communications with her. So I'm 16 years old and we're going down to see her. <clears throat> So we drive from New York, go to Virginia. She's not there. So my dad was like, oh, just wait. She probably went to the grocery store. You know, she knows you're coming over. So she probably went to get food or, you know, run a little errands. We stayed Mm -hmm. there for like at least two and a half hours. So my dad's like, yeah, she's not coming. Let's go. And we ended up going. She didn't want you to see her. What that was, was that she Mm -hmm. didn't want you to see her and what state she was in at the time and that's what I was told funny thing that's exactly what I was told at her funeral because mm-hmm. I, I was so pissed off I was like how could she do this and I told my dad I was like that's the last time I want to come down here and he was like okay he was like I, I can't I can't fight you on that she right. called he you know laid into her I told him I didn't want to speak to her And then for my high school graduation, when I turned 18, I told him I want her to come to my graduation. And that was the last time I really saw her, you know. But what a blessing. (laughs) She was able to get get things together and at least be there for you in that moment. Addiction is such a, uh, it's it's so understandable. uh, It's so not understandable for someone who's not addicted. So we don't really understand what the addicted person is going through. And it's not that they don't love us. It's not that they don't want to be with us, but it's just that this thing has this hold on them Mm -hmm. and it won't let them go. And of course, you know that nine times out of 10, the addict is really self-medicating. Exactly. there's something else that's going on that they're using the drugs to try to cover up mm-hmm. and they can't necessarily explain it to you or, or what it is that's making them do that. But sometimes they can verbalize it, but often more often times than not, they can't say, okay, well I'm hurting because I was molested or I'm hurting because I felt so unloved. And that's yeah. just like with, with my own daughter, like there were some things that she would say to me and I'd be like, what in the world? Where are you getting this from? So she would tell me things and I wouldn't necessarily take it seriously. Like she would say to me, oh, well, you love my brothers more than you love me. And that wasn't the case, but I couldn't verbalize to her at the time because I didn't know the words to say. It's not that I love them more than I love you. It's, it's a different kind of love. Yeah. You know, I love my oldest son because he's the, the, the child that made me a woman, that made me a grown woman, that turned me from being a girl into being a woman. And of course, I love you. You're my only daughter, my one and only daughter. Yeah. And at the time, it was just her um younger brother, the first younger brother. And I'm like, and he is the baby. So I love him for being the baby. Not that I don't love you, you know. If that was the case, I'd let you do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And she would say, oh, you're too strict on me. And the, No, that's not the case. But what it was that I was trying to do was to protect her 
um, I don't want to say, yes, was trying to protect her innocence. So when she got in high school or so, she wasn't really allowed to go outside by herself. She always had to have her brothers with her. But if you understood where I was coming from, we live in Baltimore City. We were living in Baltimore City at the time. Anything could happen in Baltimore City. I didn't go outside at night in Baltimore City. So if I'm going to let you have the freedom to go to this party or go to this school dance or whatever it is, but I'm going to send some protection out there with you because I can't be your protector. So, yes, if you're going to go here, you're going to take your brother with you. No, I, 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 I get that. And that's another thing with kids is that we internalize things so much. And, you know, we think it's a, it's an attack against us not knowing the parents are actually just looking out for us. And it's a gift to grow older with your parent because the tables will actually turn and you're like, okay, I see it. I get it. Right. That's very true. Because I remember one time um, I was going through something with the kids and everything. And then I realized one of the issues was that they were staying up entirely too late at night on a school night. So I pulled back and I started giving them a very strict bedtime. Okay, you guys have to be in bed now by nine o'clock. No mm-hmm. ifs, ands, or but about it. And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, that was my bedtime and I wasn't really happy about it. But I had to humble myself and I was talking to my grandmother about it and I was like, I definitely understand now what it was you were trying to do. I didn't understand it then, but I get it and like i said that's um his girlfriend i i actually call her my mom she's like you're just going through growing pain and what he was trying to do (laughs) now that you're an adult and you can understand it a little bit she's like your dad wasn't crazy and he wasn't super strict he was just looking out for you yeah and growing up in the hood in harlem when he was growing up it was wild it was wild as hell (laughs) yeah i get it And he's like, with me, like, well, I can't be there with you because I'm a single parent. I only have one child. So I need to at least, you know, do my best to protect you. And I remember growing up, my dad's like, any place you go, you need to call me. And I used to hate it. I'm like, dad, I'm going to my girlfriend's house. He's like, I don't care. And if I didn't call from her parents, like from the house, I'll have to go home. And yeah. A few times he would call my friend's house. He's like, is Anissa there? And they're like, yeah. They're like, tell her little ass to get home because I told her to call me. And I'm like, this man is crazy. (laughs) But I get it, you know, because I could have been got nowhere, you know. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't have cell phones that much. So if I was in trouble, I really couldn't call him. Mm-hmm. So like now with all these abductions and whatnot, yeah. it's it's really scary and children don't come with manuals. They no. there's nothing that says, Well, if you raise your child this way, they're gonna grow up to be the best kid in the world. But if you don't do this, then this is what'll happen. Yeah. See, that's the wildness in Harlem right there. <laughs> you hear it, right? <laughs> yeah. Stays lit. <laughs> but there's just so many dangers, seen and unseen, 
Yeah. Especially in these cities, New York City, Baltimore. We spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. as well because, hey, let's face it, that's where the money is. If mm-hmm. I can make the amount of money that I do here in West Bubblefuck, Virginia, <laughs> yeah, on some rural farm or something, then I would be doing that. But, you know, this is where the, the money is, where the meat and potato is, where yeah. it's afforded me to give um, – give my kids some semblance of a life. Yeah. No, um, I get it. And um, I actually want to ask you, um, what were some ways that helped you cope with the loss of your daughter? So there's a, um, I'm real big on self-development and self-improvement. Mm-hmm. I'm the Ayala I'm the Van of the crew. <laughs> so I'm always listening to podcasts when I'm at work. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a a lady, she had a show with, I want to say Oprah. Her name was Dr. Bertice Berry. Mm-hmm. And she used to come on this um, Periscope every day. And while I was at work, I would listen to her every day. And she had a show one time about the concept of Ho'opono, Opono. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay. And it's... um. It's like a reconciliation ritual and how it goes. And I don't know, I'm no expert on this. I just know that it helped me. But it, um, basically the mantra goes, um, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And the night I got the news that my daughter passed away, uh, I just started wailing just screaming. And then right after that, I just started going through this ritual. And it was kind of like with each phrase, my daughter was speaking back to me. I'm sorry, too. I love you, too. Thank you, too. That kind of thing. So that kind of centered me and allowed me to calm down in that moment. And after that, I just started kind of, like, talking to my grandmother. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? What do I do in this situation? And how do I go about doing this? And so on and so forth. And my grandmother was, again, through her spirit, was talking to me. Well, remember how I handled this situation. And Mm -hmm. you have stay strong and you can't go crazy. You still have to live for your other kids. And it was like, we were really having a two-way conversation and it may sound weird to some outsiders, but that's exactly what it was. And I just listened. And as I said, I just went through the motions and just did what it was that I needed to do because for one, there was nobody else to do it. Yeah. And no one else was going to make the funeral arrangement. That was all on me. And if I wasn't up to par, you know, if, if I didn't have the men- mentality or if I wasn't mentally stable in that moment or whatever, those things wouldn't have gotten done. Yeah. I know um, talking about that, when my grandmother passed away, she was in a coma. And um, I, I did go see her. I, I skipped school and I went to go see her. And I just remember just... You know, I spent some time with her 
And then mm-hmm. I um, went to the park. You know, I cried, called one of my high school friends. Then I went home. But that grief always stayed with me because I was very close to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. There were days where, like, my dad would get on my nerves. I'm like, I'm going to grandma's house. And I'll pack my little bag. <laughs> I don't know where the hell I <laughs> thought I was going. <laughs> but my dad was like, all right, you want to stay with your grandma for a couple days? Fine. He would just drop me off. And then come pick me up. But Mm -hmm. by the time she was really getting sick, I was a teenager. I had a boyfriend. And I got really selfish. So I stopped really seeing her and communicating with her. And I think I was around like, I could have been like 24. Mm -hmm. And she came to me in a dream, honestly. And she's like, look, I know you love me. You know I love you. Like, she was basically like, I get it. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no hard feelings. And I just woke up and just started crying because I wanted to apologize for being selfish, but Mm -hmm. I was a teenager, you know? And of course, teenagers are stupid. They're going to do dumb dumb things. But that just always weighed heavy on my chest that I wasn't able to really, you know, end it on Mm -hmm. like good terms but i'm telling like she came to me my dream clear as day yeah and it was just i've had the exact same experience um my grandmother i got this a a bunch of her jewelry and i would Mm -hmm. keep it in a big glass vase and so whenever i really really needed to feel close to her i would because her smell was still on this jewelry and being that it was encased in this vase I would go over to the vase, I lift the the top off of it, I smell it, and yeah. then I like run my finger over it. And you know how um costume jewelry will have like a greasy feel to it, yeah. I guess. And I would rub that in my hand and everything. So the night my daughter passed away, I actually went and I did that. And when I laid down, I had a dream about my grandmother. And she basically came to me and, you know, she let me know that there was really nothing that I could do about my daughter's addiction. It was what it was. You know, that was something that she chose. It wasn't a reflection on me. And um, the way to honor her was to continue living um, and trying to. My grandmother was very big on community service. Mm -hmm. So she was like, you know, there's going to come a time when you're going to do some work around addiction and um, some type of community service in that realm or whatever. But now, you know, you have to get up and do what you got to do. Because I always felt like, you know, my daughter passed away. And like I said, in the spirit realm, I knew that this was going to happen. Like I would have dreams or I would have feelings or premonitions or whatever that she was actually going to pass from this. And those started happening maybe six months prior to her death. So when it did kind of occur, even though that first night I was a wreck, but after that it was like, okay, I was prepared for this moment. I knew it was going to happen. And the not really the funny thing, but the way the spirit kind of works or whatever a whole bunch of things that occurred after my grandmother passed away and leading up to my daughter's death, it was like things just kind of got put in place 
in the right place in the right time. So when my grandmother passed away, the next month I ended up getting laid off from my job. Wow. So I'm like, okay, six months, what am I going to do? Okay, well, go back and get your degree. You only have one class left. Now that you don't really have any distractions of working, you can knock that out. You can live off of your uh, unemployment for that time or whatever. You can grab your 401K if you need extra money and call it a day. So that's Mm -hmm. what I did. I went back and I got my degree. So towards the end of my unemployment, about to run out, I still didn't have a a job. And now I'm starting to panic because I only have a couple of months left for unemployment. But I remembered that back in 2009 or 2010, mm-hmm. I had taken a civil service test. And so something in me one day as I was meditating and I was thinking about my grandmother, and my grandmother was a civil servant, something said, listen, well, the spirit said go and look into that civil service test. So I called the number, and sure enough, they had already passed by my number. Actually. They had called me to come in for an interview in January when I had gotten laid off. But because I had moved, it went to the wrong address, of course. Oh, wow. But now imagine if I was still sitting in that job, which was making about twice what I was making or what I would have been making going in the civil service, I would have never went to that interview. Mm-hmm. But now I'm desperate, so... We know 30-something thousand is not enough to live on in New York City, but I needed it. So when I called and they said, well, just come on and we'll put your name back on the list. And, um, you know, when your number comes up again, we'll call you. Mm-hmm. So I did, I did that. Two weeks later, I got a call, went down, had the interview. I was one of the first people interviewed. And right after my interview, the guy running the pool comes out and he says, they want you. You got the job. Because what happens when you go to the pool, you're allowed to pick up to three positions for which you want to interview. So on my very first interview, I got the job. And And again, I sat down when they gave me the paperwork and I meditated on what it is, what it was that I wanted to pick and what it was that I wanted to do. And I was going to work for, um, the the interview was for Human Resources Administration, which, of course, you know, is welfare. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't want to work with clients. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to work on weekends. I had a long litany, a long list of what it was (laughs) that I wasn't going to do. Now, here I am with no job, but I ain't about to do that, okay? (laughs) So I'm meditating. and. The perfect job came up for me, which was in auditing. I love numbers. So I put that as my number one position. And, of course, I went, I had the interview, I got the job, boom. Okay, so now I'm on this job, which I I didn't really hate. I hated the money. But I'm on this job, and I don't know how much you know about how city works, but, you know, we don't really get perks, but, of course, we, we get sold things that are supposed to be beneficial to us. So one day, um, me and my homegirls were walking through, and there's a sign, and they're like, okay, MCU is going to be here. MCU is the Municipal Credit Union. And along with that, the insurance man was there. 
So I go and I have a talk with him. And um, so I got my savings account through MCU. And he sold me like four different policies for insurance. One was for disability insurance. One was um, life insurance. And then the other two were riders that covered my adult children. And mind you, my daughter was an adult at the time. One of the riders was for her. Mm-hmm. So this was maybe right around two years prior to her passing. And if you know insurance, you know that if someone passes before two years is up when you get insurance, the insurance won't pay. Nope. So I, she, this insurance was like two years old when she passed. I can't imagine if she would have passed prior to that insurance, kicking in, mm-hmm. I would have been on the GoFundMe line. Yeah. But not only that, though, they still were trying to dispute paying it. And I then went right back to my grandmother, grandma, you know, what should I do and, and help me out and just talking to her. Like, we were exchanging, you know, conversations. And it did take them a while to pay out, but finally... The insurance did agree to pay, and thank God for that. Yeah. So my mother passed away from dementia, and um, when I was finally informed about it, she was staying with my cousins at the time down in Virginia, Mm -hmm. and they were transferring her to a hospital, not hospital, uh, a home that she used to work at. So. We thought, you know, at least she's somewhere where people know her, you know, and she will be okay. Some things happen. And when I went to go see her in July, she actually, when I went to go see, I don't want to say she forgot who I was, but Mm -hmm. I remember I sat down on the bed and I'm like, hey, ma. And she's looking at me like, I know you, but I can't like place you. So my cousin Duffy, she's like, that's your baby girl, Anissa. And she looked me dead in my face and went, who named you that? (laughs) (laughs) And it honestly, it broke the tension in the room because Mm -hmm. we were all looking at her like, like, is she going to say something? And we just started laughing. And at that moment, I personally had to come with terms with whatever you know, issues I have with this woman, mm-hmm. it has to be gone. Like I I have to move on from it because I can't hold her accountable. Right. You know, and I can't ask her certain questions. I can't do certain things because she will never get back to the way she was. So one thing that helped me, you know, cope and prepare for her passing was I tried my best to be there as much as I could for her. Mm-hmm. You know, I would check in with my family from down south and when she had major appointments, my job actually was like, you know, you could work from home and I would travel down to Virginia on Amtrak, you know, sending out emails, doing what I had to do to like get through it. But I was I was okay with it because yeah. I knew I did the best that I could. In that short period of time. And when I went down for the funeral, I actually stayed in her room. 
And I'm like unpacking my bag and I see something like walk like past me and I just turn my head and I'm like, bitch, you tripping. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Pay attention. So I go, you know, I get ready for bed and my cousin's like, oh, you know, that's the room your mother used to stay in. Right. And I turned around, I'm like, what? what? And she's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, that's her room. She was like, so you feel her at night. Don't get scared. I was like, Look, she better stay wherever the fuck she's at. <laughs> I was like, don't touch me. Because me, like, I I, I believe in ghosts. I just don't want them mm-hmm. touching me. But I, I, I did see something, like, walk past me. Mm-hmm. And I honestly honestly believe that was her. And I, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't afraid. It, it just, like, caught me off guard. Yeah. And then yeah. when she told me that, I was like, oh, that was probably her. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and then used to like to play with the back of my neck. So uh-huh. after she passed away, I would get these sensations on the back of my neck. I'd be like, "Come on, sister, stop, cut it out." Yeah, <laughs> but it right. became a comfort because it was like she's not here, but she's still here. You know, because yeah. I'm gonna always carry her in my heart. You know, and to know that you know, uh, I say maybe a month before she passed away, I saw saw her at her grandmother's funeral, actually, her father's mother. Mm-hmm. And even though I was kind of angry with her that, you know, she she was addicted and she kind of let the addiction take over her life or whatever. But we had a good time while we were there, even though she had to, you know, hurry back because she was in rehab at the time. Yeah. So um, they did let her out to go to the funeral and everything. And so, you know, I'm glad that our last conversation, at least at that funeral, face-to-face, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like a rehashment yeah. of the arguments that we had and all that. We, you know, Even in the midst of that grief, we still were able to, like, kind of have a good time with that mm-hmm. and all. But then just like um, when you were on your way to go meet your mother and everything, that's kind of also what happened with my daughter. Um, like my daughter passed away like that Friday night or Saturday, something like that. And um, what ended up happening was that Wednesday, it was just something in the pit of my stomach. I couldn't exactly say what it was, but it was just something. And I was just like, okay, I need to check on my child. So mm-hmm. I called her and I didn't get an answer. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll try to either call her back tomorrow or try to call her over the weekend. But yeah. then and this is where the power of life and death, what I was telling you about, really came into play. So Thursday, Prince passed away. And what Prince has to do with this is I was actually at work when he passed. Mm-hmm. So I get the news. I got my headphones on. I get the news. And as a joke, I go over to my supervisor and I'm like, hey, I got to go home. And he's like, wow, Miss Haynes, what's going on? And I was like, a family member just died. So he's like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, Prince just died. I got to go. <laughs> and he was like, if you don't sit there. <laughs> sit your ass down. <laughs> and quit playing games and everything. So I'm like, man. So, um, you know, the weekend, because mm-hmm. I had like a two-hour commute to get to work. So... Friday, I would generally just go home and crash. So I I went home Friday and I just kind of crashed out or whatever. 
so I didn't make the phone call like I should have made it. So Saturday, I tried to call her again and didn't get an answer. And I'm like, oh, it's Saturday. Come on. Stop being a dope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's probably out and having fun and everything. But for whatever reason, at 1130 at night, or no, it wasn't, a, it might have been 1130. It was close to midnight. And I was like, this is, uh, this is her. And then I was like, no, this is about her. And sure mm-hmm. enough, I pick up the phone, and my own mother, she's hollering and screaming, she's dead, she's dead. And I'm like, well, she's not talking about my grandmother because my grandmother's already passed. And then the reality hit me, and I'm like, stop playing. And I hung up the phone and everything. And so she calls back. Well, she didn't call back. She had my um my grandmother's sister's daughter call back. And, you know, she talked me through it. She's like, no, your daughter passed away and, and so on and so forth. And then that's when it was my turn to holler because then I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's, yeah. Those calls suck, man. <laughs> yeah. When my cousin ended up calling me. And I usually greet I'm like, how beautiful cousin. And she was just like, no. And I was just like, this is the call. And I'm like, mm-hmm. tell me, just tell me. You know, she told me she passed. But what was, I actually saw her um, a week prior. And when we when we went to the hospital, we were actually playing music for her. But at this mm-hmm. point, she couldn't move at all. But when we played her favorite music, her toes started to wiggle. So we were like, oh, like, like we're thinking this is like hope. You know, we're mm-hmm. like, oh, it, it might be turning around. She might be getting better. And her sister was actually there. But um, she went home to change, you know, put on fresh clothes. And she passed away by herself. But there was a nurse who she used to work with. She was on the um, other side of the room. And when she was walking to leave, that's mm-hmm. when my mom passed away. And it gave me so much comfort because she was like, she just got tired of y'all. She yeah. was like, y'all were always up in her face. <laughs> she was like, she, and, and I was saying, someone was always there. She was like, mm-hmm. she just got it, y'all. So she waited till her sister to leave and she passed away. She was like, she didn't struggle. You know, it, it wasn't like a painful passing. She was like, she, she just, she just went, went to sleep and you know, it, it is what it is. And she was right. like, she just wanted to be with God. She was like, she just got tired of y'all. And she mm-hmm. said that at the funeral, and it actually brought some relief to the family, like I said, because no one was there. So we had that guilt on us, like, damn, we wish someone was there. She was like, no, she got tired mm-hmm. of seeing y'all. She wanted to go be with God. Yeah. <laughs> and y'all basically, like, standing in her way. <laughs> yeah. At the at the end of the funeral, I actually walked up to her and thanked her. I was like, "Thank you." She was like, "Absolutely." She was like, "She she was like, you know, she, your mother loved you. She loved everyone. She just wanted to be with God." She was like, mm-hmm. "You know how much your mother loved loved the Lord." And I was like, "You know what? That's true." Because <laughs> and it, and it honestly did feel like she was just holding on for us. Right. And I'm happy, you know that she went the way that she wanted to go she she waited and she was like all right i'm good i'm i'm going to go and mm-hmm. 
at least I know she really wasn't there alone. At least she had someone there in her final moment. And even though it wasn't me, it was someone that looked out for her and cared for yeah. her. Um, when my brother passed away, he was actually killed. Um, he was murdered. And that hit me mm-hmm. to my core because we were just starting to form a relationship. So I have two brothers. Well, I had two brothers and I have a sister. I was close to my sister and my brothers were close to one another. So the passing of our mom, we were like, we're going effort to really be there for Mm -hmm. one another. And that following summer, we had like a cousin's barbecue when we all came down to Virginia. It had to be at least like, 80 or 90 of us and wow. we were in my cousin's house we had a we had a fish fry and we were just so excited to finally have the family there you know mm-hmm. unfortunately our mom wasn't there but this is what she wanted she wanted all of her kids to be together and, and that, in that, that november mm-hmm, and that november you know he was killed and I was actually leaving Invicta in World Trade. And I just broke down in, in the middle of World Trade Center. I just broke down crying. And I just called my dad. And, and like, it felt like I kept getting cheated out of relationships. Mm. And I know I'm still dealing with this because I've backed off from really going back down to see them. And, and he he's from Ohio and I haven't gone back out to Ohio to see his kids and to see that side of the family, because it's like, I'm afraid of opening my heart again to, mm-hmm. to these people and starting to form relationships with them. Mm-hmm. And then it's cut short. One thing and, that you have to learn and it's one of the things that I definitely have to learn over my 48 long years is to only worry about the things that I can control. Yeah. Because if I can't control it, it's going to happen regardless. And am I going to let this break me or am I going to let this make me stronger? I can't control yeah. what happens. I can only control my reaction to what happens. So, Like, a lot of people were kind of, like, looking at me when my daughter passed away, like, you're not breaking down. You're not, you're not going crazy. I don't know how I would have dealt with that. That's, like, not long after my daughter passed, that whole Kanika Jenkins thing happened. Mm -hmm. And everyone is like, oh, well, the mother did it. Look at the mother. Look at this. Look at that. And my whole thing is, was before, you don't know what, or how you're going to react until something like that actually happens to you. Exactly. So we can't predict how someone else should act or whatever. We don't know what someone else is going through or, like, the demons or, you know, the spirits or whatever we want to call them that's going on inside of them that's having them be the way that they are. So you just have to kind of, like, um, take life as it comes to you. Yeah. Because we can't control outcomes. We can't control happenings. We know that people live, but we also know that they have to die because no one is here forever. And once you start breaking things down like that, 
you can more easily deal with whatever comes to you. Yeah. No, that that is very true. And um, that's something I'm struggling with because I like to avoid pain as much as possible. And mm-hmm. that's the one thing I can't control is mm-hmm. someone passing. So I'm like, well, if I don't form a relationship with them, it wouldn't hurt. But I feel like I'm also cheating myself out of an experience. Like, I love my brother Saeed. I I love him to death. And the short time we had together, it was really filled with laughter. Like, he was like, what boy are you dating now? And all this stuff. Like, like, (laughs) it felt like the brother I always wanted. Right. And uh, I'm getting choked up like, I'm just gonna I, I, give you a mantra that will help you deal with yeah. that. It's like I I I appreciate the moments that we had and the times that we share. And I actually still have his text messages in my phone. When I yes. when I got a new phone, I told him I was like, I want every single text message transferred over. <laughs> and the guy mm-hmm. was like, You don't want to start over. I was like, No. I was like, there are text messages there from my brother that I want to keep. Mm-hmm. And the last message I have from him before he actually passed away, we were all in a group chat actually. And he just wrote, I love my family. He's like, I love yeah. y'all so much. Cause we were all in a big group chat, all the cousins. And that was the last message he sent us. And that was early in the day. And that afternoon he was killed. And, and that's what you have to hold on to. Keep yeah. that. Keep that. Definitely. Like I, I, um, his death actually hit me the hardest because it was so new when, mm-hmm. when my mom passed away and I know this is shitty to say, but when I was a kid, I remember Tupac had this line in his rap, like, um, how, like, I think about his father passing away and he was like, how can I, um, cry for a stranger? Something to oh, that. Yeah. I can't remember you know the exact but that was basically the overall concept of the lyric like his father mm-hmm. was a stranger and he was like I won't be able to cry for him and I always carried that with me I always felt like she was a stranger mm-hmm. even though she was my mom just because of the history we had and with my brother it was it just felt it was so new that I had all these hopes right and when he passed, I was just like, all right, <laughs> I ain't dealing with none of y'all anymore. <laughs> you know, like, that's it. Right. And I know it's fucked up. And hopefully, well, I am. I'm going to try my best next year, you know, to get back involved with my family and, you know, mm-hmm. be there a little bit more. Because I've pulled back a lot. I have. And it's not that I don't love them. It's just... I'm trying to process how to move on. And, and that's what, you know, you have to do for yourself as well. But you have to remember there's an old Jamaican saying, I think it's Jamaican, that first come last, then come cry. Mm-hmm. And I just look at everything like that. That's what life is. You laugh, you cry. Like um, yeah. The great sage, frankly, Beverly said, joy and pain bring sunshine yeah. and rain. And we have yeah. to deal with all that entire spectrum. Everything is not going to 
be roses every time. And in fact, you can't mm-hmm. even have roses unless you have the thorns. And when you yeah. kind of take on that stoic mantra and you start thinking of things in that aspect, these kinds of painful situations become a little easier to deal with because we know that we've gotten through 100% of every single bad day and every single bad thing that's ever happened in our lives. And we've come through on the other side, maybe having been a little better or perhaps having been a little worse, but definitely having reflected on those, we've learned something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. Um, I, when I, I started to go therapy and I told my therapist everything, she was like, Oh, so clearly you haven't processed the their deaths. I was like, absolutely mm-hmm. not, girl. I was like, I don't have time to process it. <laughs> like, I'm going to work. I have bills to pay. So, and I actually get that from my dad. That his brother just passed away um, last mm-hmm. Saturday. So I asked him, I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, it hasn't hit me yet. I, I got shit to do. And I'm like, yeah. okay, no problem. And, you know, I called him on Monday and he was like, it just hit me that my brother is in here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I it's, get it. It's all a process and you don't know how long that process is going to go. Like, even with me, it's like three years later and I'm kind of now coming out the tail end of what I went through with my daughter. Because, like I said, I didn't necessarily have a chance to grieve because I had shit to do. So, you know, it was getting up, going to work every day. Like, there was actually one point, because I had switched jobs maybe a month after she had passed, after we had the funeral. I started a new job maybe two weeks later, and I hated that job. I really, really hated that job. Still with um, HRA, but it was like a promotion. Mm-hmm. But I was going through it, and nobody really knew because, you know, I didn't. I had my two friends or whatever that, you know, I would talk to them every now and again over the but, you know, never really broke everything down. Mm-hmm. But I was so, so miserable at that job. And then, you know, this thing happening with my daughter, and I didn't realize that I was, like, slipping into, like, depression. So mm-hmm. it got to a point to where the only way I could go to work would be in a cab. I couldn't cook, you know, because I didn't have the strength. So I was yeah. eating that long time. So I put on so much weight. You know, like my finances just got shot to shit or whatever. And then, you know, not, let's see, 2017, luckily I got in a new job, which I love, the one I'm on now. And, you know, from being there and, and getting a new set of friends and being more happy in my career and so on and so forth, I started kind of coming out of that. So now I'm back to kind of eating a little healthier Mm-hmm. And all still not one hundred percent, but you know, just coming out of that shadow. But yeah. it's all a process, you know, it's not gonna happen overnight. You can't put a time frame on it. But mm-hmm. you know, when you're ready, you're gonna come out and it's gonna be kinda like a brand new day to you, like things will be brighter and all. And then you will be able to reach out to your um nephews and your nieces and yeah. maybe his children's mother, his wife or whoever and, you know, reform a bond with your other brothers, and then things will kind of continue on until, unfortunately, something else happens. But it's going to happen, and staying away from them or, 
you know, hiding is not going to stop death. It's yeah. not going to stop, you know, whatever cycle life has for you. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. I know um, this year um, I basically was starting to, I don't want to say have a mental breakdown because that sounds super dramatic, but everything came crashing down at once Mm -hmm. and it made me face a lot of harsh realities. Like I wasn't okay. I Mm -hmm. may seem happy, but I wasn't happy and I haven't Mm -hmm. been happy for a very long time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, thankfully, you know, like I said, my dad dealing with, um, he well, he's no. I don't want to say he's no longer alcoholic because basically you're dealing with your addiction daily. But right. he gave me the tools to be like, well, you know, if you're if you are dealing with this, don't pick up a drink. You know, mm-hmm. don't start partying a lot. And that's the one thing I did do. Mm-hmm. I I made sure when I was going through their deaths. I didn't cope with drinking or using drugs. I guess weed isn't a drug, but, or using weed or anything like that. Anything to really suppress what I was going through. But what I did turn to was work. Mm -hmm. And I just worked so hard that I was killing myself, you know? And, And thankfully that was the only vice I had. Cause you know I'm a I'm a big old hoe, so I could have turned to niggas too. But even guys, well, I was just like I don't want to deal with men. Like get away mm-hmm. from me. Like this year, I was literally like I don't want to see a man's face in my crib. Like I don't want to talk to a guy at all because right. I wasn't I wasn't Anissa. Like, mm-hmm. and I know people love me for my draggings and things like that, but I also find myself yes, really vicious, <laughs> huh? I said, yes, Lord. I love a good <laughs> <Anita> dragon. <laughs> I, listen, I love a good dragon, but I was I was looking for a reason to drag people. To drag Even somebody. if it was something small, just so I could take that like tension off of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could release some of that energy. I'm just like, okay, I'm angry. So who can I direct it to? And people won't know there's other issues there, you right. know. And I realized, like, I can't keep being mean to people, like, because mm. that's not me. And a lot of people do get to realize that they're like, yeah, Nisa's, she's a big old teddy bear, you know. She has a she has a wicked tongue, but <laughs> at the root of her, she's a good person. But I just Absolutely. felt like I kept, I was getting known more for that side, and I'm like, I'm really not like that, mm-hmm. you know, like. I'm really am like this, like in the words of Wendy Williams, I'm this soft and pink girl, <laughs> you know. But and that is exactly what death does. It makes you confront yourself. Yeah. And it it, it makes you realize that this life is not going to be forever, that one of these days it's going to be you laying there in that casket. So mm-hmm. how is it that you want to leave your legacy? Do you want to be known as X, Y, Z? Because I know I've had to confront a lot of things since my daughter has passed. You know, I've had to kind of not necessarily rework my personality, but like kind of confront my my parenting differently 
So whereas I'm not as, well, you can only be so strict with an eight-year-old boy, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can't stand to one o'clock, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, like, just, you know, um, how am I going to do this now? And, and even with my older two or whatever, I've gotten a bit softer with them. And even if it had to, to be to my detriment or whatever, like, okay, well, I'm not going to necessarily yell at them about that or whatever. Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to let them just kind of do them and explore their life the way they want to or whatever. And, and like, even with um her, her middle brother or whatever, um, I let some things go on with him for a while because I didn't want to be that, like, bitching and moaning about everything all the time. Yeah. Now, of course, I, I did bitch and moan, but, you know, it I, I didn't do it as frequently or as often or as rough as I may have done in the past or whatever. But so. Yeah. My dad and I, we actually had a big blowout in, like, the middle of November, and he basically told me when I was a kid, I kept telling him he, I, he didn't protect me. And mm-hmm. he was like, I just, I just thought you was just being a kid. He's like, but I realized like you're saying it now as an adult, like I did it. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying he didn't protect me from like the major things, you know, I didn't have any like real trauma growing up, but it was just like little things where I felt like, you know, you should have had my back. And I realized that I, my personality is the protector. I try mm. to protect everyone. So that's why I'm so quick to drag someone because I'm like, no, I'm going to protect them. Like how yes. fucking dare you do that to them? But I realize, like, I also can't be everyone's protector. Yeah, They have to learn how to protect themselves because I can't run to every battle. And the real battles that I need to face, I'm not facing them because I'm dealing with other people's issues, even when they're mm-hmm. not asking for my help. You know, I can't be Captain save when my own home is on fire. Right. <laughs> so I'm learning now how to protect, you know, the the child Anissa, the what she needed. I was giving it to other people and now I'm learning how to give it to her. Yeah. And that is something like, you know, touching back on the topic, like with my grandmother, that's where I'm like drawing some of her strength from now because she was a protector for her home. Now I need to learn how to protect my home. Mm-hmm. And protect your peace. With their passing, it has really forced me to grow up in a way I didn't know I needed to change. And I I appreciate it. it it's sad because next month I'm turning 30 and I realize like my mom is not going to be there to see me. You know, she's not going to be there. I'm not. She always would call me and she had this like um, it was like a soulful voice and it sounded mm-hmm. like she would sing when she was talking to you. So she's like, hey, baby girl, how are you? Like like it like it was just like fucking velvet. <laughs> yeah. And. Like, as I'm approaching 30, I'm like, I'm not going to get that, you know? And I remember the the first year that um, I think I was turning uh, either 27 or 28, and I was at my job, and I was like, this is the first year my mom is not going to call me for my birthday. And, Mm. you know, I'm just having a conversation with my coworkers, and I go to the bathroom, and I come back, and one um, one of my coworkers is like, oh, Anissa, you had a missed call. And I'm like, who called? 
And he was like, your mom, she called to say happy birthday. And I just broke, (laughs) I'm breaking that. Like I just broke down because that little act of kindness is what I needed Mm -hmm. in that moment. And I, I miss her and I miss, like, I miss my brother, but I need Mm -hmm. to, I need to grow. And um, that's another reason why I did this podcast, because Mm -hmm. I needed, I needed an outlet to grow. And I felt like this was a good way to document my growth. You know, of course, like I said, I'm going to have fun on this podcast and everything else, but Mm -hmm. like topics like this, it, we need to, we need to normalize these conversations because a lot of us are dealing with it. Yes, and it's a good thing, too, that you're touching on the spirituality because the spiritual aspect is always going to show you that your mom and your brother is is always around you. Um, Like, there's sometimes when I, like I said, I'll smell my grandmother in the room, and, you know, I know she's not physically here, but her spirit is, is, is there, or I'll see... Like my um, daughter's favorite color was the color blue, and I'll see somebody with blue hair that'll kind of remind me of her or whatever. And I know that her presence is still with me and it's still there. Yeah, and um, I know my mother, she was heavy in the church. And I actually pulled back quite some time. I (laughs) I can't remember if I was in someone's church. But um, that is something I want to touch on is going back into the church because I do believe there's, there's power in prayer, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just talk to God. Like I'm having a conversation. Uh-huh. You know? That's exactly what prayer is. It's just, yeah. they, it, it, people will call it a one way conversation, but it really isn't. It's a two way conversation because as you're talking to God or the spirit realm or however you want to call it, you're, also getting spiritual downloads so that inner voice inside that you don't know where it came from that's god talking to you back yep telling you what it is that you need to do or how you need to go about doing things or and it's funny too like when you are speaking to god and you might not get the answer right then and there but then you walk out and you see something mm-hmm. or somebody will tell you something because i'm famous for doing that I'll go up to somebody and I'll be like, hey, you know, you'll be good at doing X, Y, Z, or you don't really like your hair today or something like that. And they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I was just feeling away about my hair. Thank you for saying that. Or I was really trying to figure out what I should do with my career, and you really spoke to me about that. So sometimes the, 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 the answers we get back from God or whatever it might not come in that specific time or while you're mm-hmm. on your knees if that's how you do it or whatever, but they do eventually come. And yeah. I just find so much comfort in that, knowing that I have that connection to the spirituality and that is really what sustains me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that I find to be extremely powerful. Yes. And um, I know a lot of us, we look for quick answers. We're like, well, I prayed and nothing has worked. And you, you got to give it some time. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, you got to give it some time to work. Or you're not you're not paying attention to the right things. That's exactly what I was that about to say. That could be it, too. 
Yes. Or sometimes we don't like the answer because a lot of times we'll say, oh, I want this, I want that. But then when it shows up, it shows up looking like work. Hello? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a lot of us don't want to put the work in, you know? (laughs) That's the thing. Yeah, like, this like I kept saying, like, I want to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And this year like god like you know i think there was like a meme like it was like well 2019 you better come in and not touch anything just sit your ass down at the table i'm like well 2019 came in and flipped the table over right <laughs> i was like however i am building a better table because of it exactly you know? that. and i was like i'm getting a better table mm-hmm. and, and definitely commend you for the work that you're doing and how you going about doing it? <laughs> Think, listen, same here to you because it's rough out here and we're trying the best that we can, you know? And like I said, especially with this podcast and just talking about different topics regarding spirituality, we, we just, we focus on one thing. Sometimes we just think it's prayer. It could be other things like meditating, you mm-hmm. know, and, or just simply trying something new when I got my cards read that was something brand new to me and coming from the black church you know we don't play with stuff like that but I came in there with an open mind and an open heart and it actually gave me answers and a level of understanding that I needed Mm -hmm. but to be honest with you even though we say and I'm glad that you brought that up even though we say that the black church poo-poo certain things or frowns on certain things. But a lot of what occurs in the black church is actually descended from um, African traditional religion. Yep. And so what we, we look at or we view as Christianity actually has like hoodoo and voodoo and yep. so on mm-hmm. into it. Because like even with my grandmother, my grandmother was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. But the more that I think about it, I'm not going to front. That lady practiced some hoodoo, okay? <laughs> because she was into like the herbs mm-hmm. and like the natural healing. And um, I'm going to tell you this story. And it's actually out of the hoodoo tradition. Okay. So I was going through... Um, I call it my divorce because me and my kid's father were together for like seven years, right? Mm-hmm. I found out that he was cheating and so forth, so I put him out the house. So, of course, his retaliation was to try to get custody of my kids so he wouldn't have to pay child support, of course. And that was fine. So, of course, what do I do? I call my grandmother. Because what? What would granny do? Yep. <laughs> so I called my grandmother and I talked to her and she tells me, okay, well, um, I can't help you pay for a lawyer and I know you can't afford one, but you just go in there and you state your case and you call a spade a spade. It's time to fight dirty. You pull out whatever you need to pull out and everything. And this is also what I want you to do. She says, now I want you to get you a piece of paper and I want you to write his name on it. And I want you to pray over that paper, and I want you to tell him to leave you alone. Then I want you to get a plastic bowl, and I want you to put that paper in the bowl. Mm -hmm. I want you to fill that bowl up with some water and cover it. Then I want you to stick it in the freezer, way in the back of the freezer, and let it freeze over. That sounds crazy, right? (laughs) So I'm like, all right, 
all right, Grandma. So I, I get off the phone, and I'm doubting it, but then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go in here, and I'm going to get this piece of paper, and I'm going to write his name on this piece of paper, and mm-hmm. I'm going to pray over this piece of paper, and I'm going to tell this man to leave me alone. Then I'm going to stick this piece of paper in this cup, and I'm going to pour some water over it. Then I'm going to take this cup, and I'm going to stick it way in the back of the freezer, and I'm going to let it freeze over. After I did that, the next time we went to court, mm-hmm. case dismissed. Wow. Later huh? on, as I'm researching, you know, because it occurred to me that, yes, my grandmother was a hoodoo practitioner, and I started researching it, and that's what's known as a freezer spell. Mm. And if you look up freezer spell, and if you look in any of the hoodoo groups on Facebook or whatever, you will see that this spell is prescribed for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And as I, you know, I start thinking about her and some of the other things that she would tell me to do, like um, I'm not real good with, like, science. So I remember um, in school, and I had this science final coming up, and I was stressing about it, and she told me to take my books. Well, first she told me to take my notes and write them down real, real tiny, like I was going to cheat on the test. Mm-hmm. Don't cheat on the test now. <laughs> write it down real, real tiny, like I'm making little cheat notes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Take my books, take my little cheat notes, put them under my pillow and go to sleep on them at night. And that's also a hoodoo spell. So after her passing, I started thinking about these different things that she was, you know, was, would teach me and say to me and so on and so forth. I started looking them up and, you know, reading more about them. I'm like, hey, let me find out. <laughs> Look, Grandma was on to something. Exactly, exactly. And now I'm like, man, I wish that I would have spent more time learning this from her. So yeah. I got to kind of, like, read up on it. And, you know, you can't trust everything you read on the Internet. Exactly. At least that's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, don't trust everything you read on the Internet. But... You know, just trying to piece all of this together now. <laughs> when I had the source living right with me. <laughs> yeah, listen, right? Because that was the thing. As a, my grandma growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, she saw ghosts all the time. Mm-hmm. And she was very comfortable, you know, seeing spirits and interacting with them. But, um, and her wish was actually for us to go back together so she could, like, you know, take me around and show me where she grew up and things like that. Unfortunately, she passed. But on my um, to-do list is to actually go back yeah, trace where she's mm-hmm. from and try to get a, some understanding from there. I do know I still have family members down there. So mm-hmm. hopefully next year, if my money's all right. I'll go down there like for a weekend or something and try mm-hmm. to see what I could find, you know. You'll feel, you'll feel that um, when you go to certain spots, you'll feel her spirit there. Yeah. And you'll definitely know, oh, okay, this was one of the places and everything. And then when you go and look it up, you'll be like, oh, wow, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're very true, yeah, so... I just wish we had, you know, them still here so we could pick mm-hmm. their brains some more. Right. You know? But, um, yeah, that is so I also true. feel like things come when they're supposed to. We got introduced to it at a certain time, and it's up to us mm-hmm. to really, to like, it yeah, like, they introduced it to us, and now it's up to us to really follow through. Yep. 
So I just want to say thank you because this conversation I think was amazing. Thank you. And, um, well. We we shared a lot and hopefully, you know, people pick up some on some tips to help them get through whatever loss or grief that they're currently dealing with. Because I know the holiday season is hard for a lot of people. Yes. Oh my God, yes. Especially having my grandmother pass away right at Christmas time and I thought I'd never be able to like celebrate Christmas again or whatever. Yeah. And um I made it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, same here and um, like I said, even though I just had a recent passing, um, this year is going to be difficult and I, I wish them the best through it. But, um, like you said, we'll get through it. Yes, it's it's going to be hard, but we'll get through it. But to make sure we focus on the positives and Thank we focus you. on the positive memories we have with our lost ones and, um, that, to to push us through. Yes. And absolutely make every day from here out the best that it could possibly be. be. And mm-hmm. just know that sometimes there's going to be roadblocks or whatever. And you just have to keep pushing and keep going through and keeping that positive attitude and positive spirit. Yeah, absolutely. So before we head out, um, I know you did tell um, hints at a ghost story yes. in the beginning. <laughs> They may not know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it out. But um, do you have like a story or spooky tale you would like to tell us before we head out? Um. So I went to college at Howard University. Shout out to the Bison. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we have not just like that. We have not just like that. But Listen, um, wrap your college. Go ahead. <laughs> but um. So the first time I went down to Georgetown, there's like a bridge over there. And if you mm-hmm. look over, you'll see like the water. So we were coming from a, a, a fat party from somewhere. I don't remember. And because, um, you know, it was about a thousand years ago. And now. <laughs> but we were coming from this fat party. And I remember looking over and I see like um like a slave market. Mm-hmm. It's like they were buying and selling the slaves, and I didn't really drink, so it wasn't like I was drunk, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing, like, these images, and then plus I was a little dumb about Georgetown, but I'm, like, seeing these images of, like, slaves being auctioned off and being bought and sold and everything, and um, it just was, like, amazing to me and everything. So I say to my friend, I'm like, do you see that? And they look over and they're like, see what? And I'm like, no. So anyway, a few years later, mm-hmm. that's when I found out that that particular area is where they actually used to buy and sell slaves. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was just like, and actually, even with um the World Trade Center, I never felt good about going down there. And I could never feel why or never find out why. But, um, like, the very first time when I really, really got a sense of foreboding, I had an interview. Um, I want to say Chase Bank, when Chase mm-hmm. Bank was um, located down there at their headquarters or whatever. So I went there and I had an interview. And I just felt really uneasy. And I was just like, there's a lot of suffering in this place. 
But I thought it was just because of um, the stock market or whatever. Yeah. And I thought that that was the, the tension that I was feeling and everything. So I come home from the um, interview. I cut on the news, and I'm watching the news. And that's when they had discovered those um, slave bodies down there. Oh, Wait, okay. you know, by the African burial ground? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then that's when I found out that that whole area was like a slave market. Yeah. And if you were, um, they said if you were black or if you were Indian, you couldn't be buried in town. And that was considered the outside or the outskirts of town. And so mm-hmm. that's where they they had to bury us or whatever. And that whole area, not just the slave market, I mean, sorry, not just the African um, Museum, the Holocaust Museum, not just mm-hmm. that museum, but that whole entire area was our graveyard. Yeah. Actually, um, when they moved the remains to the permanent place that is now, um, it's quite a problem. And we actually sung at that event. So oh, we were behind we were behind the casket. I was in junior high school. We were behind the casket and we were singing. I forgot the song we were singing, but um, we sung. We we marched with the casket up until where they, you know, the, did the burial. Oh, and wow. I worked down there. I'm basically two blocks away from World Trade. And even when I go in that building, mm-hmm. you know, after 9-11 and all that stuff, I do feel uneasy. Yeah, and I actually worked in the building. I worked for the Invictus store um, location, and we have to go like through the back, like inside of the building, where you know the customers don't get a chance to see to throw mm-hmm. out. And it always felt like there was a presence there, mm-hmm. and I hated going by myself. I would tell my coworker, "I'm gonna come with me," <laughs> like, or I'll have like one of the guys go because like. It, it always felt heavy. Right. You know, and yeah. and if someone, like, I don't know if people are familiar, but it's a, the um, the way the building is shaped. It's supposed to look like wings. Mm-hmm. So it reminds it, me of a slave ship. Huh? It reminds me of a slave ship. You, you know what? I see that. Because, like, it, it points out in the top, like, in the front. Yeah. And, like, yep, I, I, I do see it. but yeah that whole area it it is very heavy it is (laughs) it's very heavy now that you're mentioning it and i i never put two and two together but yeah well thank you for sharing that now i'm really gonna be freaked out (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i went to work on monday (laughs) well listen i work at um one center street so we're going to have to get together. I keep threatening you that we're going to go to lunch. So definitely after this conversation, we definitely have to get oh, together. Absolutely. And remember, um, one time I, I, you did walk right past me. And I was just like, is okay? <laughs> and then remember, I hit you up. I was like, I think you actually walked past me. So like every time like I'm getting out from the egg and walking to the E-train, I'm like, let me see if I see her. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I don't go that way anymore, but um, you never know because some like when it gets warm again, I'll have to go that way to pick up my son. So you mm-hmm. might see me in the evenings now. 
or whatever, Listen. but I don't really have to pass by there in the morning anymore. But definitely once it gets warm, we going to have to go and hang out, hang out. <laughs> I'm right there. I'm one block away from the bull. So, okay. Yeah. Right, I cool. can take a well, long time. Let me know. <laughs> Will do. But um, before we head out, is there anything you would like to promote? Oh, yes. So I make these African waist beads, and I'm finally getting up to speed. So I have a Facebook page to promote them, and it's called Sandene Style, which Sandene is an African name that was given to me, which means um, always on time. Um, and Sandene is spelled S-Y-A-N-D-E-N-E. And you can check us out on Facebook at um, CNDNA Style, and I will actually be adding more products there, um, not just the waist beads, but also handmade jewelry and some other things that I make by hand, like uh, fabric bags and so on and so forth. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'll actually, I'll include that in the show notes. So if anyone want to check you out or purchase anything, I know this show is going to come out after the holiday season. However, you can still give gifts. <laughs> we have things. We have Kwanzaa coming up. <laughs> okay. People have birthdays every single day. That's every single day there's a birthday. So <laughs> exactly. I'll absolutely include that in the show notes. And um, to find me at um, for Spellbound in Black, you can find me on Instagram. It's Spellbound underscore Black. I'm also on Facebook, Spellbound and Black. Um, if you would like to send in any emails, um, you can send it to spellboundandblack at gmail.com. And once again, Lady K, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this show. Thank you for having me. You're, you're welcome. And I'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>